Welcome back to Simon and White and the podcast at the crossroads of media, business, and politics. I'm Christian Whiten, joined as always by Mark Simon, who uh, is with us from Taiwan today. Hello, Mark. Yes, you can. It looks like I'm from the Taiwan police station from my background, but uh, they didn't get me yet. So, That's right. you know, unfortunately, it's a very bright window outside right now. So I think it's okay, better good. for everybody to be closed. You're not in room 101 of the KMT no. interrogation center. No, no. You know. <laughs> All right. Well, that's that's good. Uh, we'll get we'll get to the imminent visit of Speaker of the House Pelosi in just a minute. But before that, um, right across the water from you in China, uh, a series of crises seem to be compounding. So we've of course had the home building apartment giant apartment building uh, land development crisis that's been going on now for a few months, but it seems to be compounding with uh, additional groups of people not only refusing to pay if they already have a mortgage that they're supposed to be paying on, even though they can't occupy this house, uh, their houses because they're not built, but this additional step of no one wants to buy houses now because they see what's going on and they think that any money they put in, a down payment, any initial payments are just going to go into the ether. Um, and you have, you know, we're talking about real money here, hundreds of billions of dollars, uh, drops in excess of 40% in some real estate markets as far as new home purchases. And this comes right on the heels or amidst um, a surprise reading, at least a surprise for some, that PMI manufacturing in China dipped below 50, indicating a contraction, a small one. But nonetheless, uh, it seems like there's just a lot going on on the mainland. Uh, and of course, this is ahead of uh, this fall's uh, party Congress and Xi Jinping. I mean, this is the point in time where he would like everything to go right. And it seems like an increasing number of things are going wrong. You think there's a real crisis going on up there? I wouldn't use the word crisis, but what I would say is essentially they're rolling downhill. Nothing's good's happening. Um, the country, first of all, overall, is aging rapidly. Um, it's not the number of people that die and the number of people that are born. It's the number of people that enter the workforce. And because there's been this downturn in the birth rates, I know people are talking about, well, you know, college students can't get jobs and this person can't get a job. That's partially true. The college kids can't get jobs. Unemployment for them is rising. But there's plenty of jobs in manufacturing. There's plenty of jobs in the service industry right now. But those people don't want those jobs. So what I mean by rolling downhill is, is like there's the college kids who want jobs but can't get them. Then there's the industries that want jobs. And they're both going downhill, but they never intersect. In other words, the college kids are not going to go over. If they have to start driving for DD or they have to start you know, working at Starbucks, they're not going to be happy. And so it's just constantly bad news. The financial situation is I've always felt that China can generally buy itself out of the out of the, out of out of their mess. You know, the Japanese did it for have been doing it forever. The U.S. does it. Um, I think as long as China has some political stability, I think they'll be able to buy themselves out of some of these positions. But here's the problem they're going to have. The real issue is there's not the demand for housing that there once was. And people have so invested in housing, they're probably never going to get that wealth creation back. And without that wealth creation in housing, the average person is not going to feel wealthier. I mean, 
most people are not entrepreneurs. Most people are working a job, hopefully they'll get a 4% raise this year. Hopefully the bonus will be good, but we all know after three or four years, the bonus is the bonus and it's part of the salary. The point that I'm making is, is that there's really not any good news coming out of China. It reminds me very much of a Japan without the freedom. In other words, in a place like Taiwan, Singapore, and other, I mean, Taiwan, I shouldn't say Singapore, Taiwan, Japan, Korea, even though overall the situation is kind of going downhill, there's a lot of personal freedom. There's a lot of way people can make adjustments. You know what I'm saying? And so when they do that, um, they make those adjustments. The, the stability in society kind of stays there. The Chinese don't have that. I, I myself think that, are we near a tipping point? I'm not so much sure we're near a tipping point, but the point is there's nothing that's pulling those reins back that's going to allow them to start going uphill. It's continuing to go down. And just all the optics are bad in terms of repressive government, Xing'an. They're finally starting to feel pressure overseas from a variety of activist groups. You know what I'm saying? So nothing good is happening for them. And their bully boy stuff is getting old. No one likes that, which is, you know, we'll get onto that with Pelosi. But economically, I myself, I, I think that they do not have any sub subscription is what I would call or, you know, any plan that they can get onto that people can build, subscribe to, to get out of it. So I think you're going to continue to see money fleeing. You're going to see talent leaving and you're going to see people hedging. And part of that hedging is in the real estate sector where people are going to basically try to get out of deals. All right, well, I've, I've, I've put 500,000 women be down here, but I own another 5 million. I'd rather lose my 500,000 than lose all five, all 5.5 <laughs> 5 right. million. I think that's what Elon Musk discovered with uh, Twitter. With the dip in manufacturing, yep. uh, I mean, it's easy enough. I love it. We sort of have this abstraction of, oh, supply chain issues. Uh, you can also notice that everything today is an issue. It's not a problem. It's not a cause. It's not a concern. It's an issue. Anyway, we have supply chain issues. Um, but, uh, you know, it's more than just COVID and overreaction and this bizarre devotion to zero COVID in some precincts of China. Um, it seems that if you have the United States in recession and Europe heading for a recession and perhaps a winter of deep recession and Japan is uh, sort of eking along. I, I thought they were kind of below zero growth, but I saw one forecast for 2% this year. I think that might be optimistic, um, especially with, uh, uh, with the yen being crazy expensive or crazy cheap right now. Anyway, is there, is there, I mean, reason to believe that we are at an inflection point where Chinese manufacturing is just going to be kind of lackluster for a while? Oh, I, I mean, I think absolutely. You know, the first thing is, is that, the myth about manufacturing is that you can keep on going. In other words, like the Jinghua knitting factory is going to keep knitting all day long. You know, they're going to have new machines, new investments, and those new machines and those new investments are not going into China. Uh, the, 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 those investments in those new technologies are going to Myanmar. They're going to India, Bangladesh. Mexico is a huge winner in this stuff. So in other words, all these upgrades that, of make, would make a factory more productive. They're just not happening in China. It's, I had a really interesting conversation. Taiwan makes everything, you know, it's, it's don't, don't buy software in Taiwan, buy, buy hardware. And I was talking to a guy who basically makes, I don't know what you would call it, but it's, it's soldering equipment and things like that on lines that puts together things. And he said, 
10 years ago, 12 years ago, 80% of his business was China. In other words, he makes machines that make machines. 80% of his business, vast majority was China. Now it's down to 50%. And it's not because he's growing. He said he's about a little bit bigger than he was before. But he said people are moving things overseas. Like he, he's, he's, I can't remember who he named. He named, he named a, uh, a major appliance maker uh, in the U.S., a buyer. Um, who, but, and he said the, the, the Hong Kong companies that make that guy's materials have not ordered anything for China of, sub, of substance in the last five years. It's all going to the Philippines, to Mexico, uh, to Brazil, Vietnam. to places like that where they actually can get, they can get workers. It's, it's, a, it's a big deal. I, don't, I, think, I think the manufacturing keeps going downhill. Um, I also think, too, and this will get me in trouble, I think the vaunted Chinese technology advancements are bullshit. Um, basically, they get most of what they get by stealing it, and we all know that. You know, I mean, if you look at their new J-35 fighter, it looks like, guess what, an F-35 fighter. You <laughs> it's know, like the uh, Soviet, I forget what it was, Illusion something or other, that looked an awfully lot like a Boeing 727. <laughs> yeah, I mean, these, 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 they, they don't, you know, they go, oh, well, it's a plane. No, it doesn't. Um, you know, a Mirage doesn't look like a, you know, it doesn't look like, or whatever the Germans build doesn't look like an F-35 or an F-18. But the simple fact of the matter is, is that, they're, they're run, that, that, that's drying up for them because essentially the U.S. is on guard now. We are fighting them on stuff. And, um, you know, I know a lot of chip guys here, and, and they always say, people go, China just jumped two entire, you know, two entire ranges up. And the guy goes, now they're just, in, in other words, if, they're, if, they're, if, the, if, the, if Intel and TMSC are at number five, China used to be at number two. Now China's mm -hmm. jumped up to number four. And so, but, and, and of course, TS and Intel will jump to number six soon. But what they're doing is they're just coming up behind the whole time because they're stealing everything. You know, you look at some of these Chinese companies and you look at what they're doing and, you know, they're not as Hickey Vision, Huawei, all kinds of IPR issues. It's not, it's, it's, and it's, in fairness, I've had the conversation. Literally, they say, it really, we, if you invented it, we're just taking it. You know what I'm saying? We, we're making it. You know what I'm <laughs> yeah. saying? And so, you know, it's just, it's, it's not part of it. Right. But I see overall, I do not see good things happen for the Chinese. I don't, I don't see the economy doing well. Is it an implosion? Probably not. Right, um, right, right. But is, it, is, it, is this a continued downhill where, you know, all the China ass kissers like Schwartzman and all these other guys, Red Diallo, yeah. If their money's in there, it's not coming out. Oh, that's interesting. Well, just good. circling back to the tech thing, it seems like the export controls that Donald Trump enacted through the Commerce Department, USTR was tariffs, uh, commerce was the export controls, and I forget what it was, 10 nanometers or fewer uh, in semiconductor design. And surprisingly, the Biden administration just expanded that to 15 and below, which means that chips that previously would have seen be seen as sort of utility junk not super high tech but maybe essential for memory not super sexy that those also may no longer be exported to go into huawei stuff you know i wonder talk about uh stealing stuff if the uh, i'm sure this isn't on his business card but tongue-in-cheek everyone knows that the senior vice president for reverse engineering at huawei is probably a very busy man you know it's it's really cultural 
you know, it, it's, it's, it's IPR, intellectual property rights are a Western concept. I don't care what anybody tells you outside of Japan. Everybody else, it's, it's very difficult for people to, to you know, to, to get on that. Um, I had a friend uh, who was in the Philippines for years and part of his portfolio with the entertainment company was he was with was trying to collect um, basically like rights for songs and everything like that. And there was nothing you can do at it, do about it. And in fact, there's a famous, and this will show my age back in the nineties. I can't remember his name. It was David something. He was an MTV GJ. He was a Chinese American guy. And he went on to be like a rap. You know, he was one of these, like, I met him a number of times. He's a very nice guy, but he would tell you, he was almost like a movies actor. It was, it could be a movies meeting. He's like, Joe, who stinks in America, shows up in Hong Kong and is like, what's up, my, he used to, he, what's up, my brother, what's up this, you know, he's a Chinese guy from like, you know, USC or something like that. And he's got this whole rap down and it's like, he just convinces everybody in Hong Kong. So he was the MTV guy, he's hilarious actually. When you think about it, he wasn't funny, but when you looked at the whole situation and he got in so much trouble because he criticized, I'm pretty sure it was Andy Lau, who's a big Hong Kong star. Andy Lau basically got out there and sang all these songs, you know, and he was like, he was singing, I mean, everything from my way to like bodyguard and other stuff. And he released this whole album, did everything. And D David made the comment to him, really insulted me. He goes, have you ever thought about like writing your own music? You know what I'm saying? And the guy was like, <laughs> you know, the guy was like, live it. How dare you? How dare you? And it's like, because they don't, he doesn't, he didn't get it. And I've, I've encountered that a number of times. I know some, I, the Taiwanese are actually much, much better than most people, but they steal. I mean, they, they have an IPR they, issue. Right. Well, they've come a long way. I was talking to someone. I forget if it was uh, was on a trip where I saw someone at, where they made um, uh, turbines for jets, but also software. And he sort of just said in the 80s, they would were just reverse engineering American stuff. So yeah. I think they've progressed from there, but. No, it's because it's because of access to the education system. I would argue, though, and you everybody knows my argument about the U.S. STEM system is I'm fine with the Taiwanese, the Japanese, everybody else. I don't see why the mainland Chinese need to be in our STEM programs. Right. If, if, if we want to send if we want to send people to diversity train diversity counselors and if we want to make them literature majors, I'm all for it. You know, that's almost like covert export back to China that's going to wreck their society, you know, but. I have no, I have no qualms with saying, I'm not think, I'm not sure it's a good idea that when we have a country that's so hostile to us that we're educating their engineers. But that's a, that's a topic for another day. But yeah, but I mean that's China is not good, and that does lead into the Pelosi thing, which I'll ask you because you're the global, you know this much more than I do. I mean, what do you think? And I, I think this, what do you think of the fact that this Pelosi visit? And I don't blame her. You know, this Pelosi visit is actually an opportunity for the Chinese to basically divert attention from all their problems. I mean, yeah, it's a it's amazing how defensive we are on this issue. Uh, and I tried to point this out 
and a few other media hits. I mean, first of all, why is the USS Ronald Reagan an aircraft carrier and her group in the South China Sea as opposed to the Gulf of Mexico or the Sea of Cortez or something like that? Well, they're out there because China is a problem uh, and causing problems and doing things like threatening World War III over the visit of the Speaker of the House to Taiwan. So it's one of these instances where, where once again, it seems like we let the Chinese set the tone of the debate, the rules of the debate. Um, I think they're going to lose on this one uh, because I, you know, Pelosi, you know more than I do. Being in Taiwan, I think she's going to come and she has a good record, uh, relatively good for Democrats on China. Um, but it's amazing to me, starting with when Biden was sort of asked out of the blue press conference, should Pelosi go? It was not officially announced. Um, he could have said no comment. He could have said uh, the legislative branch does what the legislative branch wants to do. It's a separate branch of government. He actually knows that since he spent most of his many, many, many decades in Washington in the Senate. Uh, and instead he said, oh, the military doesn't want her to go, which is sort of passing the buck right there. It's odd. Yeah, you Democrat sent me a note president said, no way. Right. It's odd for a Democrat. If a Democrat president has a problem with a Democrat speaker going somewhere, just pick up the phone and, and have the conversation offline and say, gee, Nancy, they're telling me it's a bad time. Incidentally, I'm sure OSD and everyone at the State Department and CIA, it's always a bad time to be tough on China. You know, they always think they're close to some magical breakthrough. Um, but, uh, yeah, I was, guess I was just very surprised with um, – with uh, the defensive posture we find ourselves in once again. What's the mood like over there in Taiwan? Are people digging bomb shelters or are they excited? They're excited. I mean, a week a week ago when it was on and off, on and off, I, I use an analogy that will again get me in trouble. I, I said it's kind of like, you know, it was, Taiwan was kind of like the girl waiting for the call to the prom. In other <laughs> words, everybody told her, you know, say, Billy Bob's calling you on Friday night. He's calling you on Friday night. And she's hoping maybe he'll call Thursday and you don't get the phone call Thursday. And everybody's getting a little nervous and mom and dad are nervous. And then all of a sudden, Friday, Billy Bob's out drinking beer with the boys and having a good time. And he forgets to call. And so she's in a nervous wreck. But she's not. Well, that's OK. You know, I don't really want to go to prom anyway. I'm not so I don't want this to happen. And then all of a sudden on Saturday afternoon, Billy Bob calls and says, hey, I'm sorry. I was drinking last night out with the boys, had a big night. I'd love to take you to prom. And everybody's like excited and happy. And uh, they call the aunts and uncles to come over and take pictures and do all these. Things. And that's what's going on. Last night when um, when uh, when TVBS, in my mind, TVBS broke it. When TVBS broke the story um, uh, that she was going to be really coming and somebody from TBS sent me a note that said, look, Mark, it's real. This is who our source is. You know, our source and I and then a friend of mine that actually, you know, here in Taiwan said, yeah, it looks like she's coming. We've been told she's, you know, unless they and he said this, unless they divert her plane in air, she's here. And everybody's not within an hour of that. I got a, I got another note from a friend who said, do you have any of the phone numbers of the old Apple daily photographers and reporters? Because we need to hire some people up. So in other words, <laughs> the media is ramping up. People are excited she's coming. Um, it, it's it's kind of, I wouldn't say it's Santa, but you know, it's a sign that the United States is standing with them. But I will tell you something, and, and everybody knows my politics. I have not seen in my life what you just said is so true. Democratic president, Democratic Speaker of the House. Hello, pick up the phone, say you got a problem. Okay, do not 
send your minions from the NSC or let your, I'm not sure Joe sent anybody, but let your minions from the NSC conduct a campaign against another branch of government. They really did. If you think about this, the NSC, look at all these stories, FT, Bloomberg, Washington Post, New York Times, all organized. Nobody doubts it. I've had two or three people confirm it. All come from the White House, from the NSC. Probably Mr. Kirby had a lot to do with it. Okay. Mm -hmm. You know, attacking the Speaker of the House, attacking another branch. It's one thing if it's cowboys and Indians with Republicans attacking Democrats and Democrats trying to take down a Republican White House. That's, that's one thing. This is really an institutional attack by unelected and for the most part, non-appointments. In other words, people who didn't go through congressional scrutiny. This was a White House group. It's almost kind of like, it's not like January 6th, but it's almost like Nixon's guys going crazy. When you look at these stories and then magically out of the blue, in the New York Times appears an article by two people who claim to be China hands, I mean, Taiwan's friends, Bonnie Glazier and Zach Cooper from AEI, sticking a knife in Taiwan in a prominent New York Times op-ed promoted heavily. Who arranged that? There's no way the New York Times goes, oh, I know, we'll call Bonnie Glazier and we'll call Zach Cooper and get them together. And we'll have these two talk. And I happen to know after hearing from a couple of people at AEI that a lot of people at AEI are not happy with this. And I am going out of my way to remind everybody in Taiwan how much money you guys give AEI and whatever group Bonnie Glazier is with that week. There are, you cannot, one of the things is you cannot allow yourself to get backstabbed. But really, Pelosi has been unrelentingly attacked. And now we're in the new stage. The new stage is if something happens, ooh, that would be very, very bad. Very, very bad. <laughs> right. You know, right. I told somebody, it's like watching the Biden administration, the NSC, it's like foreign policy by Latka of taxi. <laughs> you have to decipher <laughs> everything they say. It's ridiculous. Like, oh, man, I, you know, <laughs> you know, and it's like, and there's no, it's, 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 they get everything wrong. Um, I, I, of course, I've been around here a long time, you know, in Taiwan off and on, but I mean, you know, Apple Daily, I know a lot of people. I don't know as many people as I used to. You learn that really quickly when you're not a senior executive at the largest newspaper in town. <laughs> nobody returns your phone calls magically. <laughs> you know, it's kind of like, wow, you know, I thought you all liked me for me. You know what I'm saying? What's happened to me? But I mean, I still see some of the guys. I, I go hiking with them. You know, I smoke cigars with a couple of guys who are just friends. And they're, they just, they're, they're just rolling their eyes about what happened with this whole thing. Think of how we'd have done this. Exactly what you said, spot on. She's a speaker of the house. What the hell do you want me to do? And then, right. and then they're trying to influence it, which is why the Chinese spokesperson just yesterday, she put out, they're all the same branches of government because somebody in that snake pit of Washington, D.C. is convincing the Chinese that they, as a consultant or a lobbyist or an unelected, unappointed, non-confirmed person, 
can step in and tell the third most powerful person, probably actually the second most powerful, you know, because the vice president is just at funerals all the time. Okay. Our talk are scaring children, this one. But I mean, the thing (laughs) is, is that, so the thing is, is that, that, that somehow you people are going to tell her what to do. I actually, rarely I say this, I put out a tweet criticizing this. I heard from one former, very senior Pelosi staffer and one current, I'd say reasonably senior staffer who I was surprised that person followed my, you know what I'm saying, found out about this. Uh-huh. And they told me, thank you, Mark. They said, this is, they said, well, that's we are getting. So that, that sort of confirms that there is, that Pelosi is happy this is happening. Right. They're furious. Okay. Even, wow. even, even McCarthy, I've, I've heard that even McCarthy has basically, you know, uh, commensurated with Pelosi a little bit, apparently, or somebody like, I can't believe what these guys are doing to you. You know, I mean, let's, <laughs> right. let's face it. I mean, if one of the things is, I, I, I don't, like I said, I'm not, a, I'm not, Pelosi and I are not on the same, the speaker and I are not on the same wavelength politically. She is wonderful on China. She's very good on human rights. She's tried to keep the issue going, even with the Democratic appeasement, my administration. But let me tell you something. Um, they had better, in, in many ways, they better hope for, I mean, obviously they're not going to, but I, I miss the days of Bob Dole and Tip O'Neill and everybody else, because I'm telling you right now, in the old days, all the guys who did this, there would be a list in somebody's office up on Capitol Hill. You know what I'm saying? Uh-huh. If they ever tried to walk in with a client for lobbying, <laughs> or, or seek confirmation, or, or seek yeah, confirmation, ask for a favor, or I, get a, I, be, I believe in, I believe in, I, I hate to say it, um, I got a sign on my thing. It's about loyalty. I, I believe in comeuppances. I don't think that there's no, there's a free ride for this stuff. For some of these people, what they've done and this and these attacks on, on, on the democratic institution, I don't think it'll probably ever come to flourish for, you know, fruition, but maybe it will, maybe it will. Right. All right. So now we know you keep an enemies list and suggest that I keep other an enemies list. I have an enemies list. It's a long one. It's speaking a long of, uh, well, speaking of applicants for that list, and we talked a little bit about think tanks and, and phonies in Washington, the Quincy Institute, I understand, yeah. um, may be playing footsie a little bit and trying to signal China that it's a friend. Who knows? Maybe China's, uh, you know, as some old friends are now becoming more and more skeptical, especially as China be, is so belligerent in their threats. You know, the Global Times, uh, one of their mouthpieces talking about shooting down and Pelosi's plane. Good luck. I know, that was kind of um, scary. Yeah. Yeah, which I, 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 that's another question is what you think the consequences of this will be if there are any business or financial ones. I kind of doubt it. They'll do something. But uh, what's up with Quincy? So there's a woman who works at Quincy named Jessica Lee. And Jessica Lee is really an Asian American activist. And she's big in this whole stop Asian hate, which look, you know, being the only non Asian in my family, I'm a pretty big proponent of stop Asian hate. Um, I do think I know where that hate is coming from. Um, and I also think another way that you don't promote that hate is basically by sucking up to China. Jessica Lee is firmly, firmly in the camp of don't blame China for anything. Her, she is backed almost exclusively by pro-China groups, such as the, uh, um, the, the, the Asian American Foundation with his Joe Tai money, uh, Quincy, she is Quincy Institute is well known to be soft on China. They don't even they don't even argue it. 
And you've reached a point now where there's a lot of people out there. And I think the, I think the rubber hits the road in terms of who's for China appeasement and who's for U.S. interest. Jessica Lee is someone who thinks that essentially if we say bad things about China, Chinese get beat up in the streets. OK, I'm not so sure that's the case. I think Chinese probably will have problems in the streets because the CCP and Xi Jinping send out messages for all Chinese all over the world, brothers and sisters in our camp, unite with us. You know, Lee Kuan Yew was actually really big on this from Singapore. And he said, you got to make a pick. You make your pick. You're either Filipino Chinese, you're either Malaysian Chinese, you're either Singaporean Chinese, but the first one is what you are. And if you want to play this game where you're going to like try to go back and forth, let me tell you something, it can have some pretty nasty consequences. And I think the problem with this Jessica Lee thing, my whole issue with this appointment is one thing and one thing only. I think Jessica Lee has been appointed at this exact time because of the Pelosi trip. I think they are signaling to the Chinese, we are going to bring in a friend of yours. And, and that's, that's an amazing thing that you would bring in somebody who's friendly to the CCP, make a big announcement about it right when you have tension. That's how they think. You know, also, yeah. there's a political, there's a domestic political side to this, but I don't think that was a dominant issue this time. The domestic political side is they're desperately trying to hold the Asian American vote, which they are starting to see significant hemorrhage of it, largely well, because I'm sure. of sure. Well, it's, I mean, you mentioned the stop Asian hate and they're glossing over the fact, at least in cities, it looks like this is just anecdotes that's being perpetrated by black men, many homeless, many, I don't know, drugged out or something, but these are not people who are um, uh, executing the commands of Donald Trump and they're not doing it because Donald Trump two years ago called it Wuhan virus or China virus. It's being driven by some other uh, discrimination that we uh, mm -hmm. can't address because it's not politically correct. So, um, you know, it's it's uh, that's a very a swampy tale, but very believable. Uh, we should close out the episode quickly with uh, Hong Kong going to hell as a business uh, location. Alibaba, yeah. this is, which of course, is sort of Amazon plus plus on the mainland. Um, you know, I think you and I spoke back when they went public in the U.S. years ago. And I said, this is interesting because it's a mainland company. Uh, with the Hong Kong audit, at least a Hong Kong auditing firm, that was the signature on the S1, I believe, when they filed. Uh, I could be wrong. But uh, and I said, even at the time, how can you really trust it if the actual audit work has to be conducted in a communist system? OK, we can trust audits at that time. Not anymore. At that time, we can trust audits in Hong Kong. Now that's all gone to hell. And it's so much of the Biden administration is is uh, getting to the point where they're going to delist them. They've demanded access to the working papers that are behind audits so that, um, you know, our auditors or uh, or, um, you know, investors can see whether that's real. I, <laughs> frankly, I wouldn't trust the working papers. I think even if Alibaba and these other companies could concede that to the U.S. government, it would be crazy to trust these numbers. But uh, what do you think? Is this is this the latest milestone in, in sort of Hong Kong, just another Chinese city? and a system that's coming apart? I think the problem is five years ago, seven years ago, there would be somebody in the Hong Kong government, there would be somebody in the Hong Kong business establishment that would say, okay, look, I'll work this out. And there would have been someone in Beijing that said, yeah, you go handle it, okay? That's not the case now. Everything in Hong Kong is seen through the eyes of national security Everything is seen through the eyes of 
national national dignity. Um, you know, it is essentially reached the point of Hong Kong that everything's politicized. There is nothing that is not political in Hong Kong anymore. I mean, we just had two young people arrested two days ago. I think it was two day, yesterday or two days ago. Um, two young people arrested for basically passing around tweets that were considered <laughs> sedition. In other words, you wouldn't get arrested for that in China, in all seriousness. They would visit you. Don't do that. Now, if you kept doing it, they might knock on your door a few more times. But in Hong Kong, they have charged two young people with sedition, could put them away for two or three, two years in jail. Okay. Because why? Because they basically, everything is about security. Now, the other problem they have is they've got this giant national security apparatus and the beast has to eat. You know what I'm saying? So they're going to keep eating. But really, at this point in time, what we're seeing in Hong Kong is, I don't know how Hong Kong recovers. Just as earlier, I said China is going down that hill. Hong Kong is as well. They, they, what's an ex, I mean, when you see what these kids tweeted, it was just innocuous. It really wasn't that bad. If you're an expat mom, if you're, if you're, if you're an expat mom and you're off working in your finance job one day and your kid does a TikTok saying, you know, F the man, you know, your kid's going to get picked up. Forget it. I'm not going to challenge it. You wouldn't get picked up for this in any country in Asia outside of North Korea, including. But Hong Kong, the national security people are running things. And so that's it. Which brings me back to Alibaba. The issue with Alibaba is, is that they cannot make any concession because at the national level in China, anything publicly suffers the same fate. In other words, China privately I think the probably business is pretty much the same as it was before from what I've been told, a little bit tighter in terms of what you have to watch. But Alibaba is, and all these companies, anything that you deal with the West is going to be viewed not through a business or economic lens, but through the lens of a uh, national security issue and a, a national pride, national identity, whatever you call it. Right. It's, it's, it's well, not that, good. I, I, I tell people right now, I mean, money's fleeing Hong Kong. Money's leaving China. I don't see any return for it. Right. Well, that reminds me when I was working on North Korean issues and you have North Korean defectors actually trying to break into Manchuria or whatever we're calling it today, northern China, and considered it just the land of milk and honey when they got there compared to North Korea. You know, one defector who later made it to South Korea said, you know, it was amazing. Uh, there was someone there. It was a, probably a covert Christian farmer who, who not only gave us rice, but it had bits of pork in it. Delicacy. And I'm thinking, God, how bad is it that people are actually breaking into northern China? And uh, what you're telling me is that actually uh, people are freer on the mainland. And I don't know if we can even say mainland Hong Kong anymore. Maybe it's just geography rather than politics now. But no, I mean, you're I mean, a little bit less uh, repressed in, in, in China than Hong Kong. Without a doubt, Jing An. I mean, Jing An, of course, they're more repressed there. But without a doubt, without a doubt, on the mainland, basically, you do not have the worries that people in Hong Kong have right now. Now, they would tell you that's because we're cracking down. But, I mean, they're basically arresting people for holding up blank pieces of paper. Mm. And they don't do that in China. And so the point right. is, is that you've got this national security apparatus that the entire city is being run by guys who have no idea how a modern economy works. And, you know, the next thing we're going to see in Hong Kong, by the way, is we're going to see travel restrictions. That's coming. It's, it's almost there. 
you won't be able to leave. You'll have you'll have to provide the reason why you're leaving. Wow, just like on the man. It's coming. It's coming. It's there's no I doubt in my you. mind. And and what'll happen is they'll completely deny that it's coming, but it'll be there. In other words, when you <laughs> right. leave, when you leave, business people and things like that will probably not have a problem. But when a family goes on vacation, maybe they're going to look at your why are you taking the rice cooker? You know what I'm saying? I mean, you know, right. you know, what, 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 if you sell your house, sell your flat. I know a guy who's got a little attention right now and he sold two of his businesses. Okay. After he sold the second business, when he sold the second business, he sent his wife and his two kids abroad. Mm -hmm. And then he gave his attorney power of attorney and a little piece of the action to close the deal off. Uh, and he had a, he had a workout clause in the deal. He took less money so he could get out of the workout clause, and he said he'd work with them on Zoom. And yeah. and he he <laughs> slipped out. He he is not left yet. He's not too worried about getting out. He should be able to get out because he's been able to travel. Um, and in fact, he might be out now. But I know he was going to Singapore. Yeah. You know? Well, and, and maybe uh, say you're on going going on vacation to Myanmar or Burma for yeah. or um, uh, Cambodia first. Looks a little less suspicious. All right, that's all the time we have for this episode. But we'll be back again soon. If you like us, please uh, follow us, subscribe, and leave us a comment on Apple Podcasts. Thanks so much.